take your shirt off. So the shirt came off and the chains came on and the music played and they were telling me how to dance. And apparently this is what you want to do right here. When you got the watch and the bracelets on, you go right here. And what is an NFL quarterback room like? So two years ago, I trained Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Kyle. That was my draft class. I think that this league is filled with opportunities and the guys that, that stay in the league for a long time are the guys that take advantage of those opportunities. I'm just a big believer in repetition. And I'm a big routine guy and goals never end. And I'm just a big, 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 guy and big, 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 this is the quarterback room. Jordan Palmer is my co-host. We got a fantastic guest today, Kirk Cousins. I'm excited about this. This is our first guest that's a long-tenured vet in this league. The Vikings are 7-1 and one right now. Kirk Cousins is rolling. He's going shirtless on planes. He's taking his all the chains from everybody. He's dancing around. He's peaking in his career. I think this is year 11 for him, and he's peaking in his career. A guy who's going to play for a lot longer. We just recorded that interview with him. An awesome interview. I think it's going to be great to get a quarterback-to-quarterback perspective. He had some great thoughts, some really thoughtful answers. We also talked a lot about his old days with Shanahan, with Sean McVay, with Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins, KOC, his new head coach, back in his Redskin days. Can't say that anymore, but he was a Redskin then. But that interview with Kirk Cousins was great. Before that, make sure, if you're watching this video right now, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our subscriber count's going up at 5,000. I'm going to give away a jersey. Jordan, I don't know if you have any jerseys. Maybe you should give one away too. I think I got some around here. I, have, I mostly have other people's jerseys, but I think I know this. My son's first and second grade team, we got the championship coming up in two weeks in flag football. That jersey signed by him is going to be a hot commodity. I've already had a couple people ask me for that. So I might go for like $3.50. That's crazy. But anyways, go go subscribe or on Instagram, The Room with Jordan or The Room with Kyle and JP or on TikTok. Jordan posts all his content on TikTok. We got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm really excited about this guest this week. We had a great interview with Kirk Cousins. Um, but before that, we're going to get into Throw a Deeper, Check It Down. This is a segment we always start the show with. Throw a Deeper, Sir. Check It Down. Different topics for around college football, NFL football. If we like the take, we're going to throw it deep. If we don't like the take, we're going to check it down. So, Jordan, I'm going to throw these to you right now. A crazy, crazy environment in college football coming up. Something that we've never seen before. It, I've never seen it. And college football is way different when you were playing. But I don't know if people really understand what's about to happen coming up soon. It's, what, mm. it's November 5th or 6th right now. So in about a month, December 4th is the college football playoff committee. That's when they're going to pick who is in the college football playoff one through four. There's four teams this year. December 5th opens up the 45-day transfer window for anyone to transfer without anything happening to them. They can transfer. They can go play the next year. This is the, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first year that this is happening. I'm going to throw this to you. We have never seen anything like this in college football before, Jordan. Do you think this is going to be the craziest 45-day span in college football history? I mean, we saw Tennessee rush the field. 110,000 people rushed the field when they beat Bama. And then we saw LSU, 100 and whatever thousand people rushed the field when they beat Bama last week. It's going to look and feel like that. It's just going to look and feel like that online, in the media, at campuses. This is about to be pandemonium, man. I'm throwing this one deep. We've never seen anything like this. Just think about it like this. If you're a true freshman receiver and you just had a solid freshman year, right? And you got a senior quarterback, like, where are you going? <laughs> are you going to wait around for the, the redshirt sophomore to see if he can play? 
right? And if you got one year left and you've had two productive seasons, whatever position is like, well, if I'm going to, here's my situation here, how much can I get to go where? And so you're going to see buying, this is going to be like walking in Wolf of Wall Street. You got Jonah Hill over here who's doing whatever he's doing on the table. You got Leonardo DiCaprio. He's throwing little people at, you know, Velcro sticking to walls. Buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. It's going to be chaos in college football. Smaller schools with, with no collectives and NIL money, they're going to be losing some of their best talent. Big schools are going to be gobbling them up. Some big schools are going to be losing it. I'm fascinated to see what happens with A&M. They got to they gotta add some players there, but who's on their way out? <laughs> who's keeping the money they got and going somewhere else and getting more and having a better chance of winning? So I think it's going to be chaos and one of the most entertaining, teed up right before Christmas. It's going to be teed up. You're going to just have this 45-day window of pandemonium, and it's I'm here for it. There's going to be a – there already is. There's going to be a sweepstakes for Kate McNamara's services. Mm-hmm. So quarterback, pass catcher. We saw it with Jordan Addison last year going to SC, wins a Blitnikoff at Pitt. Loses his quarterback, says, nah, I'm not going to stick around and see who we get. I'm going somewhere else. You're going to see a lot of talent go and do that starting December 5th. And it'll be like free agency. The big heavyweight moves will happen because they'll have already been talked about it. Tampering. Yep. They have to happen immediately, too. It's 45-day window, but those first three days, all the big names are like, you don't want spots to fill up. All the big names are going to go immediately. And it's going to be so weird to see how it all works out because there's really no rules around it, right? No, no rules that I know of. What, what, what money is going to be involved? What deals are going to be involved? You know, you were talking about it earlier. Say you're an older guy who's been at A&M for three years and you've played a bunch and then you're seeing this freshman come in who hasn't done shit yet and you're seeing that freshman get paid a million dollars for a deal or he's getting this from recruiting and NIL and that. You're a, you're a real player. A&M's not doing great. What makes you not want to leave and go to another school and enter those sweepstakes to get the money, right? Because once you're a free agent, you see it in the NFL, once you're a free agent, it's just market value at that point, right? What's market value for your player? What's everyone else getting at your position? It doesn't matter really how good of a player you are. It does a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's it's turning into a free market. What's the market value going to be for quarterbacks? What's the market value going to be for top receivers? And who are going to be the teams willing to pay the most from it? And I don't know if this is going to make college football any better because I think the parody is going to get bigger. I think the top teams are who have the most money and who are the most competitive are going to be able to pay these guys and bring in all the best talent. And so you might see an even larger talent gap, but I think from a player's perspective, this is great for them to be able to do what they want to do and get out and not be held back by so many restrictions previously. So I'm throwing it deep on this one too. Yeah. I'm just, I think I'm over the, mindset of I wish it wasn't like this and it it used to be so it is what it is it's here it's not going anywhere I'm just here for it I, I, I'm excited to watch this thing go down there's going to be some some players that make a big a difficult choice and decision to go somewhere else and they're going to be rewarded and there's going to be guys who left and went somewhere else and got there and said oh shit I shouldn't have done that that's what happens in recruiting that's what happens in the league that's what so I I'm just it is what it is I, I can't wait to watch it go down but there's going to be some um, some blockbuster, not trades, but some blockbuster free agent acquisitions for sure that first week of December. And there's going to be a ton of kids who think that they are going to transfer and go somewhere and they're going to be hung out to dry. You see it with transferring already. I think the stat was like 40 or 50% of kids don't end up at another school after transferring. So just be wary. If you're a college athlete listening to this, be wary. Like the grass isn't always greener, but 
Also, if there's money on the table, why don't, why don't you bet on yourself? So I'm throwing a deep on that one too. Next one, Martellus Bennett recently had a quote come out. Marty B. Marty B, you play with Marty B, right? I did. Great. Yeah, one of the one of the best freestylers I've ever heard in a in a locker room setting. You sure. probably battled with him pretty well then. You're a great freestyler, right? Yeah, I used to have it a little bit. I used to have a couple bars. Not anymore? Okay, cool. Anyways, his quote was, he said the NFL was like going to an amusement park. The rides are incredible, but waiting in lines just suck. I think that's a very interesting analogy perspective to have on the NFL. I've never heard that one before. I kind of relate to it. What is your thoughts on it? One, it's a great line. Like I said, he's a wordsmith. He's got bars. Marty B is one of the most out there in a great way. Creative, artistic. I watched some of that Pivot podcast. He talked about how like I'm the I'm the head of creative for my family. He said something like that. Um, where he's like, I'm the art director. You know, what we listen to. He loves the ballet. He's like, man, I'd love to get Stone to go to the ballet. <laughs> like, yeah, I know he does. It was he had a cool thing too. Anytime a player on our team, I played with him in Chicago. Anytime player on the team had a baby, he he knew in advance and he would paint them a really sick abstract painting. And so I remember Cutler had, he has three kids. Cutler had one of his babies at that time and, and walking in that day when Cutler comes back to work and here's Marty B at his locker. He's got this giant painting and it was like a dinosaur with a number six jersey and it was all this and him like explaining his creative process on why he chose a dinosaur for, for Cutler's kid. And it was just like, you know, you could walk by and chuckle at it, but it was like, dude, that's super dope. That is like really cool, like totally unique. So that's Marty. But I would say this. I mean, I, I agree. Um, I think in terms of what, what he said, where the highs are really high. Like I loved game day. Now as a two, game day creates a lot of anxiety because you're expected to play at a certain level and you haven't gotten the reps. So that part's hard. But the, there's... A lot of elements that were a blast, but I would say definitely less than 50% of your time spent was a blast. Significantly less than 50% of your time spent. Now, how much you love ball, right? Like I bet I love the X's and O's and the intricacies of offense and defense more than Marty, right? And he might, he's probably smarter than me too. I mean, that guy is super intellect guy, but I'm saying as a quarterback, because the role that I had to play, I did love watching tape. I did love learning protection. So there's elements of it that one guy may go, that's lame. I don't want to spend my time doing that shit. And then there's other guys who nerd out on it. So there was those elements that I loved, but what I did not love the standing around in line, so to speak for me was the hierarchy. You got coaches who are literally just staying in their room at night because they don't want to be the first guy to leave. So they're there for no reason. So the pointless shit that you had to do in the end where they go with the answer, when you say, why do I do this? They say, well, just cause that's the way that it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I see my six year old get frustrated when he says, why dad? And I said, because I'm, I'm the dad and I'm in charge. And I said, so like that same frustration <laughs> that my six year old has, like I, there, there's just so much pointless time spent in the NFL or it's, you know, this is how it's always been done or you got to do it. And then it's super cutthroat. So for me, I, I would say, I, I agree with Marty there. I'm throwing it deep. I've always said this in the past too. If they paid you a hundred grand to play in the NFL, I probably wouldn't have done it. No. Cause there's, there's one, the risk, but two, just, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. that's not that awesome. Yeah. I would, I'm throwing it deep on this one too. I think it's funny. You say the guys that just sit at their desk at night cause they don't want to leave. They don't want to be the first one to leave. They don't want that portrayed out to the rest of the building. There's this weird reputation with football coaches that you need to be in there till 11, 12 PM. And, and if you're not in there, you know, you're not working hard. You're not like when it's, it's working smarter, not harder. I'm always in the camp of 
efficiency over working hard just to work hard. There's a funny, someone at our facility just jokes around about it. They say everyone's just guarding their desk, you know? If I'm not at my desk, someone else is going to be here one day. They're just guarding the desk. <laughs> so there's a ton of that in the NFL. I really relate to this. I think, like you said, game days, when Sundays come around, Mondays, Thursdays, whenever we're playing, game days remind me why I love this game so much. When you go out there, even as a backup, I totally understand what you're saying. The anxiety of being the two on game day, like people are like, oh, you have the best job in the world. You just stand out there. Like you get to watch ball. Like you're not in trouble or getting hurt. I'm in there watching every play on offense. And every time we call a drop back pass, I'm strapping up my helmet because that could be the sack or the play or the injury that I have to go in after getting no reps or no practice or anything for the last seven or eight weeks and go in and lead this team to victory, right? The anxiety on game day is crazy. But when you're out there on that sideline in uniform, you look down, you think about all the times that you've spent in high school and grade school and college, like looking forward to this moment in your life. And you can just kind of around the stadium and, and check out what's going on. Like that is just like the top of the roller coaster. That's like going down the roller coaster right after the first drop. Like that feeling is, you can't replicate that feeling in my Now the way yeah. that, there's plenty of that. There's pointless shit. There's pointless walkthroughs. There's training camp meetings from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Like we're in there all day. There's going over shit over and over and over again. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things out of your control that you have to do that are pointless. Right. And so the waiting in line part, and it's like you said, I don't know if I'd play for a hundred grand either. Right. And I would say that the two things that I love the most about the NFL are game days and the locker room. Mm-hmm. Can't replicate the locker room. I know you probably miss the locker room like crazy, but you always have guys out there training, which is your locker room now. Yeah. But that locker room, being able to be around those guys and have those relationships, it's just, you're fucking around half the time, you know, making jokes you can't replicate that anywhere. So, yeah, I think the way I summarize that locker room piece and Martellus is a perfect example, right? From he's a former teammate of mine. We spent time in the locker room, like where, when you're on the same team as somebody, there's a lot of guys, right? And it's not just that you're from different parts of the country or different ethnicities. It's not even that. I mean, it's just that you're on the same team right now. And that is the only thing you have in common with this person. And it's enough to be boys with them. Right. You may not have the same political beliefs. You might be from two different areas. You might have like complete, you know, married with four kids, super single dude. Like you may have nothing in common with that person other than they're a Texan right now. Yeah. And it's plenty to be boys. Right. I had nothing in common with Martellus when we were in Chicago. He was married with a child. I was either engaged or married with no kid. Like he played tight end. He's from Texas. I'm from California. We had nothing in common other than we were bears. And I kicked it with him all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I, I just think that's that, that piece. My favorite part of the NFL is you have two people come together. The only thing they have in common is that they're teammates and it's plenty. plenty. And that doesn't really happen at like, that doesn't happen. You know, Merrill Lynch, you know what I mean? Like doesn't it doesn't happen. happen right. Regular jobs. Yeah. You look at the locker room. It is the, the epitome of the melting pot in this world, right? You get people, yeah. every single background, and you just don't see that anywhere else in the world. And that's why I think, not to go off topic, but football from a life lesson standpoint and a cultural standpoint, I think we've been blessed to have that in our lives to, to shape us as people because there's nothing else like it. But going back to that point, I'm throwing it deep. It is a roller coaster. Those highs coming down that roller coaster, shooting up Superman at uh, Castles, or not Castles, what is it, in California? 
Six Flags. Six Flags. Shooting up that Superman ride. That's just like game right there, man. But there's a lot of waiting in line, and there's no fast passes in the NFL. I'll tell you that. No. All right, that was Throw Deeper Check Down. We're kind of shortening it, trying something new here. Got, this- got something we got to talk about. Jeff Saturday just named head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. You're lying. Field Yates says it's, to his knowledge, the only time someone's been named a head coach in NFL history without any prior coaching experience at the NFL or college level. This all happened like 30 minutes ago. What? You got to be shitty. Me. No, it's real. <laughs> it's, it's real. This is real. This is real. This is Jeff shit. Saturday was just named the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. First time in NFL history has no coaching experience. He hasn't even been in that building. All right. Last third. You can check it down then Jordan. Okay, last one. This is our first in-air live segment. You're going to be hearing this. Tomorrow. Breaking news. This is literally breaking news for us right now. We're recording this on Monday around noon. Jeff Saturday, former center for the Indianapolis Colts, was just named head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich wasn't even fired, right? Like, oh, he was fired today. Oh, he was fired today. I didn't see that. This yeah. So Frank Reich, yeah. no interim head coach. They hired Jeff Saturday on the spot. Never been a coach before. This is the first time in NFL history that a head coach has been hired without any coaching experience before. What the fuck? This is crazy. So throw it deeper, check it down. Let's say that this is, throw it deeper, check it down. This is the craziest shit you've ever heard. I'm throwing it deep. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I don't, this just happened. I don't even know how to respond to this. I mean, no continuity with what they've been doing. I don't think he's been on the staff at all. Who knows how often he's been in and out of rooms, but you're going to basically have somebody come up and address. Normally you'd have an interim head coach, right? You've probably been on a staff where somebody got fired. I have. And somebody comes in and they're an interim head coach. And here's how we're going to do this now. This will be the first time you're going to have somebody come in and go, how are you guys doing? My name's Jeff. Nice to meet you. <laughs> like, Let's turn this thing around here. Not, yeah. No, I've not even been on the staff all year in training camp off season. Frank's been there for three years. He's just stepping into a whole new building. Yeah, and whatever Jeff Saturday's context is for how you build a champion, he played with Peyton Manning. Like, and that, that's, that's not going to be super helpful. That's not going to be a lot of, like, carryover to Sam Ellinger and Matt Ryan, who just got benched. I mean, this is the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL right now in terms of, like, or the, the fastest track towards being the number one pick and, and, and getting to pick who they want out of this QB class coming up because – you got Matt Ryan out. You got Nick Foles in there. You get the coach out. You got Sam Ellinger, who's really struggled through two weeks. Now add this on top. Man, this is Jim Ursay move all the way. Majority of that stuff that guy does is questionable in my opinion. So this is just par for that course. And man, that locker room has got to be sitting. In- so our reaction, anybody watching this right now, Kyle and I kind of don't know what to say. We're kind of rambling right now. Everybody in Indy's doing that too. Everybody in this locker room is on the phone with their agent, their, their buddy, their girlfriend, their dad going, the hell is going on right now? I, Fair? I, I what to say. I've never seen anything like this. Former player, we were just talking about it. Vrabel's the only former player that's been into a Pro Bowl, really the only former player that's played well in his career to be a head coach right now. We were talking about that 20 minutes ago before we got on here. Jeff Saturday, out of nowhere. I don't, was he even like a high school? Like, what was he doing? And He's been on TV. He has been a consultant for the team and was the head coach for the Hebron Christian Academy football team in Dakola, Georgia. How'd they do? <laughs> I'll get you the stats. 
Okay, so he was a consultant for the Colts. Consultant can mean a lot of things. He could have been there for an hour. He could have been doing a, a lot. lot of times. That's just a former legend that they just pay him a couple hundred grand a year to be around. I mean, wow. Keekley's a consultant, and there's Pittsburgh's always had consultants around former players. You know, James Harrison's with the Steelers. I mean, it can't get much worse than Indy right now, though. So crazy. They're gonna give him a lot of time. They're not gonna give him you know, a couple of weeks or this season or maybe two years. He's a former legend. It's going to take a lot to get him out of that position. So he's going to have a long leash. But in the middle of the season, hiring a new head coach, the same day you fire your head coach, no interim, no thought. That's got to be in Ursay's mind for a while. He's probably been waiting for this moment. Mm. 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 All right. Well, that was... Hebron Christian Academy Lions, 8-2 and two overall this season. So that's on the resume. 8-2. So who's taken over at Hebron Catholic? That's the real story. They're eight and two. He's bailing. They're going to the playoffs. Good Lord. That's a a bad example to set for those children at Hebron Catholic. Come on, Jeff. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was throw it deeper, check it down. I'm checking that one down. I don't know. I'm going to throw that one deep. I like it. I like like the splash move. I like seeing more players in head coaching positions. I do too. People who have played who are coaching always have better perspective for the players. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw it deep. He's got a long leash, former Super Bowl champion, a leader. We'll see how it works. Hopefully for the Colts, but hopefully they don't figure out this year so we can beat them next time we play them. All right. That was throw it deeper. Check it down. That was super interesting with Jeff Saturday right there. I did not expect that. Well, wow. all right, let's get in the interview with Kirk. We recorded this earlier. Like we said, this is one of my favorite interviews we've done. Kirk, in my opinion, is one of the most cerebral quarterbacks, one of the most thoughtful quarterbacks also just kind of a straight up baller flies under the radar. If you look at his stats, I looked up his stats before this, just to get some context on everything. The consistency is off the charts. Like he's throwing 20, 25 touchdowns a year. His interceptions are in single digits every year. They're 500 or above most every year. They're seven and one to start this year. And it just feels like this team is going to be the team for Kirk to take them deep. I think Mm -hmm. defensively they're playing great offensively. They're hitting another level. And I think in this interview, it's really good to get a different side of him to hear about his past in, in Washington in a way he's never spoke about it before and, and hear him talk about his old coaches and, and give thoughtful answers on, on his team right now and, and just kind of where he's at in his career, right? Year 11, year 12, kind of peaking in his career, like we said. But I've always been a fan of Kirk. Yeah, I have too. And I think most fans don't realize that a lot of the best quarterbacks all time did not start off year two, year three, year four balling. Alex Smith's best year was in year 12. I remember I played for Mark Tressman in Chicago. Who's the guy who he won MVP of the league for the Raiders, went to the Super Bowl, and he calls games now. Who am I thinking about? Quarterback. Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon didn't start until he turned 30. Wow. Right? And there was an MVP. And so a lot of quarterbacks really year, I think, I don't remember what it was for Drew Brees, but it was like seven, eight, nine, something like that was when it really turned the corner for him. Now, I don't think it's turning the corner for Kirk. He's been putting up numbers for a long, but this just might be that the perfect timing, this new OC or KOC, the new head coach, the positions that they, the skill positions that they have around him, adding in a new tight end. Like it's just kind of feels like, damn, these guys are seven and one and they might be a lot better in a month than they are right now. Yeah. And and obviously the injury aspect of it is going to be a huge for them, but I've never really talked about faith on here before, but here's one of my here's my my favorite thing about Kirk. When you there's a lot of quarterbacks who, you know, they're Christians and they wear their their faith on their sleeve, okay? Russell Wilson's known for this for a long time. Derek Carr talks about it a long to, a lot. 
Philip River, a lot of people. I think with Kirk Cousins, I think that he is just the like clearest, just truth teller. Nothing is for show. Nothing is to make it look like it's something else. He's just like, and anybody who's been around him says the same thing. The only thing that comes out of this guy's mouth is truth. Like he's not interested in it looking a certain way or his image or the feel. And it's really easy to do that and to say things based off how it's going to be received as opposed to just spitting facts and truth. And he holds players accountable. The way he talks about his family, his family I, I just, from afar, I've always like kind of low-key had a major man crush on Kirk Cousins. So mm. I was stoked to talk to him. Yeah. Great interview. Let's get into it right now. Right before, if you're here, subscribe to the channel. Tons of more NFL guys coming up at the end of the year. We got the college football playoff coming up at the end of the year. Great stuff coming. NFL playoffs in January, February. We got a lot of good shit coming. This is Kirk Cousins. All right. What's Ladies up, guys? And gentlemen. Kirk. In the Lululemon jacket. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Lululemon puffer looking good, man. <laughs> Now your ribs feeling yeah, right now. They, shot yeah, yourself. they're a little sore. They're a little sore, but we'll use the next phase to get get back. Yeah, that's a good front over there, dude. No doubt. Well, let me explain what this is. This is the room. Welcome to it. Kyle and I started this this year. This is not an interview. This is a conversation. One of the most dynamic rooms in anything in our country is the quarterback room that makes the whole building go. And you're a guy that we've been wanting to talk to because we've been watching from afar and fired up. And so welcome to the room, dude. So they asked me this. I don't know. When did we meet? Do you know? I believe we either met at the elite 11 when I was a counselor in the summer of 2010, or we met even earlier than that. I came out in spring break of 2010 to mission Viejo to throw with Bob and Rob Johnson. And you might've stopped by the high school. I don't know if you did stop by the high school, but Colt McCoy at the time was training for the draft. And I remember throwing with him and he and I ended up playing together in Washington, but it was something with mission Viejo, the elite 11, the Johnsons. That was kind of how we initially met, but I knew of you because you had played at UTEP and we're in the NFL. And so I was following you, you know, before you had ever heard of me. Okay, so that's funny, yeah, because that was draft prep, and I was running routes. I would, I would run. Yes. I was a Bengal at the time. I would run routes in the off season, and I was running routes. It was me and Aaron Hernandez running routes for Colts. So <laughs> no. that is it. What a, a lot of names. I remember that. Um, I remember they said Jordan's coming back to run routes. He just wants to help however he can. And so uh, I remember that. Now that you say that, I'd forgotten that. Well, I didn't want to get fat too, because that was the best thing to do in January is run routes. It's the best it's way. It's a to good idea. Shape, it's it's way to think out. Yeah, own. good job thinking outside the box there. Yeah, you didn't want to do that because you you like that protective layer during the season. We've seen a lot of your in-season preseason pictures. Just <laughs> yeah. November, December was not good to me. Yeah. So, all right. So way back. And have you guys met before? No, I've never met Kirk. This is first time. But I mean, I grew up watching you. I mean, I'm 26 right now. I mean, I played on the Redskins yes, the last couple of years. Well, actually, I played on the football team. I never played <laughs> on the actual Red. I actually got, you think this is you right here. That's me in the number eight. I stole your number eight right that's there. Right. Sorry about that. But that's right. I feel like every white quarterback on the Redskins has always worn number eight. But yeah, Case Keenum. Me and Case Keenum rocked it. I was it, a Redskin, right. It was Brunel. It was Brunel. <laughs> <laughs> Brunel was eight when I, I was drafted there. I was Joe Gibbs' last pick. <laughs> yeah, but no, ton of respect for the game, man. I've been watching you. I mean, I never really watched NFL. I don't know if you did this in college, but when I was in college, I only watched college football. And when I got to the yeah. NFL, I could only watch NFL football. But since then, like. You've been on the TV a bunch. Your, your game's awesome. You're super consistent. So I was super pumped 
to have you on today. And But yeah, this is a quarterback room. What we do, we're going to start off with one segment. It's called Teach Tape. Usually what we do is we have a guy break down one of their plays sure. from the week before. You had a ton of good plays, especially that one wheel route to Dalvin Cook late in the game. That was an awesome, awesome catch. But we're going to do a little different this week because there's more interesting videos of you. You got to break <laughs> this one down for us. I mean, we see it week to week. The chains, right. the amount of chains on your neck is just absurd right there. It's like got to be at least $200,000 worth of chains. Break this down for us. And you got the shirt off now on the plane. Yeah. So it started going back to our London trip, flying back from London, eight hour flight. We won. Guys were going to enjoy that flight and make the most of an eight hour flight. So the music blaring and, you know, everybody was trying to turn into a nightclub. And so I was one of the last people on the, on the plane and they, somebody, Christian Derisaw was the one that gave me his chain to put on just for fun. It kind of add to, to all the energy there up up in the plane. And yeah, it, it just, it, it went out on social media and it blew up. So then the next away game we won, it was like, you got to top that. And be, I barely had stepped foot on the plane and three guys threw me their chains to put on. And then <laughs> this was our next away game. And they're saying, well, how do you top that? Did you get your own chain yet? I said, nah, I haven't got my own yet. And so they're like, take your shirt off. So the shirt <laughs> came off and the chains came on and the music played and they were telling me how to dance and, Apparently, this is what you want to do right here when you got the watch and the bracelets on. You go right here, and yeah. so I, I was learning. Mm-hmm. I was learning, and the thing is, if we start, if we keep winning these away games, I mean, this is only going to escalate, and I'm a little nervous about where it might go from here. But uh, we got to get creative. Someone's got to buy you a chain at some point, or you got to start. Buying yeah, I, yeah, I can buy myself a chain at some point too. But I will, you know, I got to get that ready for the next away game. And then we got another pick. This is reminds me of old Fitzy. I played with Fitzy in, in Washington last year, but Jackie, throw this up. Who did it better? You or Fitz? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think you did it better. Well, I, I shirtless helps, but uh, Fitzy at the press conference and he's so witty, you know, his ability to he, like, he was answering the questions they were asking and then tying it back to that <laughs> saying like, well, you know, we just have to be ourselves and stay true to ourselves and not try to be somebody else. <laughs> he's, it was hilarious. And he was really the first one to do it. Anybody who does that now, cause I've had people say like, Oh, go put on Justin's stuff for the press conference. And I'm like, that's been done. Like, I'm not trying to be the second guy to do that. So, you know, props to Fitzy for being the first guy to do that. Yeah, a lot of Washington references here. This is your first game back in Washington. I had to look that up this morning. I was surprised. A tough game, tough battle. We were just talking about it. You took a shot in the ribs late in the game. That front, all first rounders. You guys were down 10 late in the second half. I was watching that whole game. You found a way to win. How did that feel going back in there for the first time? So much like your career, your personality, who you are was kind of built up through there. You know, you were behind RG3, started all that stuff, went to Minnesota. Now your first time back. How did it feel? Yeah, well said. It does become so so much a part of you after six years, the people there, the experiences you had, the memories, it really shapes really certainly your football career, but even beyond that, you know, your life. And my wife and I have so many memories there. Our first son was born there, but yet it's unique that after five, it took five seasons to get back. Usually when you're in the NFC like that, you're going to play somebody at least Mm -hmm. every two or three years. They came to us in 19, but they didn't end up on the schedule until 22. So I had five years, and it's amazing, again, to be reminded how much can change in this league in five years. There are so many people that have moved on, and so few that are still there from my time, the roster and the support staff. And so, But it was still very meaningful to go back. All the memories came flooding back as we poured into the state, you know, pulled into the stadium and uh, just glad to get a win you know, and kind of be able to have those memories leaving with a, with a victory. 
Yeah, I'm glad the the stands didn't fall on you like they almost fell on Jalen last year. That was a close <laughs> one. Well, just transitioning here, this is fun because I know both these guys really well. I've known KOC since I was in high school. Mike Zimmer was the defensive coordinator in Cincinnati for three yeah. years. He was my brother and I's turkey hunting buddy. And and so bummed to hear about Adam, another guy. Yeah. That I've, I've, but just talking through the transition, just to KOC, it's not just defense to offense because I, I would say Mike Zimmer's one of the best defensive minds in football. In my tenure of playing ball, I mean, he was one of the generally one of one of the most respected defensive play callers, you know, motivational guy, all that stuff. I never had him as a head coach. Just talk through the transition, not even just from Zim to to KOC, but this kind of feels like it's an unlock for your offense and there's more freedom. There's Justin Jefferson is not just making spectacular contested catches. He's also open a bunch and, and that's scheme that's design that's angles that's coaching and intricacy of routes maybe just talk through that transition and, and what KOC's meant for you at this point in your career yeah I think um, you know the offense the last few years I think did play at a pretty high level Justin obviously setting you know records as a rookie and as a second year player for what he was able to do that's continued now in year three it's a talented group there are a lot of, of players you know we got great depth at running back with Dalvin and Alex and now getting TJ Hawkinson at tight end with Irv's injury has been a huge addition Adam is Adam Justin is Justin KJ Osborne has come on big the last couple of years so to have so many capable skill players has been a huge help but certainly Kevin's you know brought in his his brand of ball, his system, you know, his way of doing things. And, and we've really bought in. And what I've noticed is the way we're winning has really been team. You know, there's been games where like Sunday where, you know, offense really wasn't able to get things going for a while, but the defense kept getting stops, kept us in it and, and made plays for us, you know, by getting interception and giving us a short field that enabled us to get points when we needed it. And there have been other games where, you know, just the week before where we got to score 34 points and kind of help our defense out. So it goes both ways. And, you know, that's really the complimentary football we're trying to play here. A special teams have been huge for us as well with field position, many, many games that we've been needing it. So it's been good to win as a team. And I think that's how you do it in this league and how it's how it needs to go down when you get to the playoffs. And so uh, that's kind of that's kind of been our brand of football. A lot of one-score games this year, too. I was looking yeah. up the stats. I think the only one that hasn't been a one-score game was Green Bay, right? Every single game. Is yeah, and I think that's it. that's kind of been the the concern a little bit is, hey, we need to pull away from teams. When we get a lead or get out in front, you know, hey, let's let's put them away. Let's pull away. Have not been able to do that as much as we would like. We found the inches at the end of games to still come out with a win. But I think most of our wins this year, we've walked away. Maybe every win outside of the Green Bay game, we've walked away and said, man, we've got to play better. You know, this may not be sustainable. We got to figure this out and get, you know, tighten the screws a little more. So that's kind of where we are, I think. What do you think is different with KOC just being a quarterback, always being in the offensive mind? I've only had defensive coaches in my career. I've had Rivera and I got Lovey Smith right now. I've only had defensive minded head coaches. Maybe just even from game planning or in game decisions, probably your communication with him is way more than it was with Zimmer. What's different now that a guy who's played quarterback and has coached quarterback for so long is your head coach? Well, it, you know, the, the in game. You know, hearing the play call in your helmet, that constant dialogue with the play caller isn't much different from what it was with all the OCs I've had in my career, which I think I've had, you know, eight play callers in my 11 years. So I've had a lot. But what's different is when that guy's calling the plays and, and calling the show, the buck stops with him. So if he says, hey, I think we're going to take a timeout here. Or, hey, I think I want to do this in this situation. No one else is going to tell him off. I mean, that's his call. Whereas in the past, it's hey, you know, great point. We're, think, we're, we're thinking we're going to take a timeout here, but we got to you know check with the head coach, or we think the head coach wants to run the ball here, or whatever it may be. 
not that head coaches weighing in that often, but usually when you get the crunch time or a critical play in the game, you know, the head coach needs to speak speak into it. And in this case, the guy calling the plays is the head coach. So the buck stops with him and there is no there is no middleman there. So I think that's been kind of maybe just a difference, I guess you could say. And I had that with Jay Gruden as well when he was calling plays where it's like, hey, it's it's your show. And sometimes with Sean McVay, you'd hear Jay ask Sean a question like, hey, what do you think? What do you think about taking a time out here? What do you think about doing this? And Sean would look at him and say, you're the head coach, man. That's your call. You know, you tell me. So, you know, you always understand those dynamics between a head coach and an assistant. Yeah, I mean, we've seen there's been pictures recently just because of all those head coaches have gone on. It's Shanahan, McVay, McDaniel, KOC now, your head coach. That coaching tree is incredible. It seems like that how it, that's how it works in football. You get in the right coaching tree, you learn the right way, you kind of sprout out, and then different offenses or different defensive schemes seem to become more prevalent in the NFL, and then they become coaches there. When you were in Washington those years and you had all those guys, who, do you, who did you think was going to be the best coach out of all of them? What a great question. I don't know that I've been asked that before. You know, I think it starts with Mike Shanahan because Mike was kind of that we call him the godfather. He's the OG. You know, he was the head coach. He drafted me uh, when it was not conventional with the draft. I remember when I arrived there kind of feeling like this mm-hmm. is a dead end to come to Washington because they took a quarterback so high. And that was really what the media was asking me when I first got there was, you know, why did Mike pick you? You know, we needed so many other places on the team for help with a fourth round pick. And yet he used it on a quarterback. How do you explain that? And my dad reminded me, you know, Mike, Mike is coached around, you know, John Elway, Steve Young. He knows what it looks like. And the fact that he's going out of his way to, to draft you and to get you on his team, I would take that as some encouragement that he's in your corner and that he thinks you have a future. And so it really starts with him. And then Kyle certainly was kind of the, the one running the show there my first couple of years. Matt LaFleur, the quarterback coach. Mike McDaniel was a quality yeah. controller. So it's really those guys kind of all in the room. Sean McVay was a tight end coach as well. And I didn't know, you know, I had no framework to work from. So I go from Michigan State to this team with all those coaches. I knew it was a step above Michigan State, but I also assumed any NFL team was going to be a step above Michigan State just because of the level of of pro ball taking a step up from college ball. But I mean, if I wish I had known, you know, where it was going to go, because I would have just worn those guys out, spent so much more time with them even than I did which was already a lot because they knew so much and, and had so much to offer and, have, you know, time has proven as they've gone on to so much success, each as head coaches. Yeah. I think when you enter the league, no matter what it is, and I, I, I live in this space, right. With draft prep and, and hoping these young guys go from amateur to pro and all the newness that happens, it's easy for you to label yourself. Right. So I only had one offer out of high school. So the first part of college, I'm a, one offer guy or somebody can see themselves as a walk-on or they can see themselves as an undrafted guy. You went in with, with Robert Griffin, the third day one, poof, you're the backup best case scenario. Right. And so it'd be easy to label yourself a backup or think of yourself as a backup. And I, I help a lot of guys, you know, kind of sort through this of that identity. I've, I've seen you talk about this briefly an abbreviated version about a conversation that Kyle Shanahan had with you. Uh, I think it was your second start in Atlanta where you, I guess he had a conversation with you. I, I, I've only seen bits and pieces of it. Can you share kind of, was that a moment when you were able to sw- kind of switch and transition and see yourself? Cause from that point to now you're talking about a lot of games, hundreds of millions of dollars and, and a super bright future. We're not talking to you here at the end of your career. Is that, a, is that a yeah. moment? Is that something that, that changed something for you? Yeah. Like you said, being a fourth round pick, 
you can you can kind of get labeled as a backup and and mentally be putting yourself in that place for the duration of your career really and I, I do think the draft follows players you know if you're a first round pick who you know that's going to help you in year four and five and six if you haven't delivered yet they're still going to say hey there's something there they were a first round pick for a reason we just got to coach it out of them and the opposite is true if you're an undrafted player you know no matter how well you play there's always this yeah but you know maybe he's not fast enough there's always gonna be a ceiling and so that's hard to overcome. And I think it did take having coaches who really believed in me, spoke belief into me that caused me to maybe set my sights a little higher, but also caused them to give me opportunities before I had even really, you know, earned it, if you will, or proven it. They really gave me those opportunities, reps in practice, and then getting to playing games where I was able to, you know, succeed or fail, but at least I was able to be out there and learn and grow. But it definitely started with Mike and with Kyle. And with Matt LaFleur, those three really getting in my corner. And then from there, you know, Jay and Sean and Kevin and 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 all the way down now to year 11. I'm not going to put you in a position to say anything, but I, I've just, I've been around Sean a lot and I'm lessening those guys. And so I, I, I got a pretty good grasp on how Sean runs his, his program down there. And I was also with Jay Gruden. <laughs> and so just from an organization standpoint, like detail oriented, I'm saying you're not like, there's both sides of the spectrum right there. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and it was a great, you know, opposites attract and you know, whether it's a marriage, you tend to have those opposites. And I think that marriage of head coach and offensive coordinator worked well. I think in 2014, Jay's first year, we were all trying to figure out the dynamic of Jay's role, the quarterback's role, Sean's role. And it was a work in progress and, you know, didn't play our best ball, but then Sean, that offseason got with Jay and got with the quarterbacks and we all kind of were able to more clearly define each person's role, their contribution. And I really think in 15 and 16 is when it took off and it just worked really, really well. Sean called the play. Sean was the OC. Sean ran the show on offense. But Jay, as the head coach, obviously steered the ship, but also really provided a lot of direction and input at times when it was really needed. And, and then when Sean left, you know, I was saying, all right, you know, what will it look like now? And uh, I thought Jay did a really good job, first of all, then taking the playing reins back and kind of handling that job for me in 17, such that we didn't really skip a beat, but then also was a great hire to bring in Kevin as the quarterback's coach to fill in for a lot of what Sean had been doing. And that hire, I think at the time was a major help, but obviously overtime has proven what a great hire that was. And so uh, I've always had a lot of respect for Jay's ability to identify talent, you know, in the draft and the free agency, and then also in hiring coaches, people, Sean and Kevin at the time, both the, the hiring, both of them at the time he did, these are young guys really unproven. And he mm -hmm. said, no, I believe in them. And much the same way with me in 2015, when he said, you're going to start, uh, I hadn't done a whole lot to make that an obvious choice, but Again, his ability to kind of identify people and put them in those places, I think, uh, says a lot about him and because that's not easy to do. And that's underrated from a coaching perspective, too. I, I'm going to throw this out there. I, have, I haven't talked to him this whole season, so I have no idea what his role and responsibility is, but I'm still going to make this statement. Gerard Johnson's going to be a big-time coach in the NFL. Yeah, JJ. I think Kevin Kevin feels the same way. Kevin had communicated that to the team that, you know, Gerard is well on his way. And Gerard's the other thing that's great with Gerard too is he's been around multiple systems. So he's seen how Phillip Rivers did yep. it, you know, in Indy. He's seen how the RPO game works. He's seen how the keeper game works. He's seen He was with me and um, me and Cuddy in uh, Chicago. And, absolutely. And Mark Trestman's system. 
there, there are many times where when I talk to him, I can tell that he's been around a lot of football. He's seen, you know, some of that Mike Leach, Big 12, where you're slinging it all over the field that I've never been a part of and don't have a great understanding of how that all works. How do you throw for seven touchdowns, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so it's been fun to kind of pick his brain and learn different brands of football and, and, and the give and take of each one that, hey, you gain this, but yeah. you lose this. And this is why you like this. And this is why you don't. And so those have been really helpful conversations for me to have with him. Yeah, you talked about labeling from a draft perspective, right? First round picks. We talk about that a lot too. First round picks are obviously going to get a longer leash. Guys who are undrafted. Early in your career, you were labeled struggling on prime time, and then you go off and win that that playoff game against the Saints. I remember watching that game. That was one of the most fun times I've ever had watching a game. You threw that high angle corner to Adam Thielen on the right, and then the little push off on the fade in the corner. But we're yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you still got the win. But we talk about labeling, and then how you deal with the media. You see a lot of guys now in high school, specifically a guy you've worked with before, Arch Manning, Jordan, a guy who's so in the spotlight being labeled from day one, right? Obviously coming from the Manning family, but high school kids in general, just with all the NIL stuff, everyone's just so out in the media. I feel like you're a guy who's always handled the media really well. What advice would you have for a guy like Arch Manning or some of these five-star high school kids who are getting all this money now, they're getting all this media attention, they think they've made it at 16 and 17 when you know better than anyone, there's just so much more room to grow. Even when you get into the league, there's so much more room to grow. What advice do you have for them? Well, I was fortunate enough looking back to not have that path. I was, you know, the two-star recruit with very few offers. And and at the time, you know, you wished you had been the one that everyone was chasing after and went on all these official visits. That would have gone to my head. I don't think that would have been, been a good thing for me. The pressure would have mounted. So, to fly under the radar, I think, was a real positive for me coming up, you know, as long as you can still make it. But no, there's no doubt it, it's very difficult. And you just try to, you know, ignore the noise, ignore what's outside, focus on the inside, on the job you have to do, and just try to block out what's being said. Because if you hear it and you're exposed to it and you stew on it, it is going to, it's not going to help you. It's, it's only going to hurt you. And you only have so much energy devoted to those things is silly. You need to be devoting it to what really matters on the field. So inevitably you're still going to hear had it. moments where it got to you. Well, you certainly are devoting energy to it. You know, when, when something comes out, that's not true, or there's a, uh, a dynamic you wish was different within the team that you have to address, you know, there's, there's just energy being spent on it that, you know, is, is not efficient. And so, yeah, it inevitably happens. You know, football is an imperfect game. You're going to make mistakes. Even if you're winning, you're going to miss open players and you're going to let people down. And and so there's always that potential for there to, you know, challenges and nitpicking and complaining and and the media feasts on that. And so you have to be able to, to block that out, you know, rise above it. it kind of goes against human nature much of the time. And so you have to kind of be prepared for it before it happens. And uh, and, you know, you, we're all still learning as we go here, you know, in year 11, I'm still learning how to do it better. Awesome. Well, let's, we're going to do something here we do with every guest. It's called the two minute drill. And this is, this is the end of it here. We're going to put a clock up here and you got two minutes. Would love to hear your journey, dude. Start it yeah. wherever you want to start it. Friends, okay. family, faith, philanthropy, all the things. 
Sure. Start it wherever you want to start it. And it ends today as seven and one and rolling. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to use this as an opportunity. There's a lot of young quarterbacks, a lot of, sure. a lot of fans, but a lot of young sure. people watch this as well. So yeah, I'll throw it to you, man. Yeah. So my journey really began in football in high school, uh, started my first varsity game as a junior. I was not pulled up early. And in the first quarter of the first varsity game I ever played, and I was hit on my left side and broke my ankle. And so I missed most of my junior season. I remember thinking at the time, if I can't play my junior year, I'm not going to get to play college football because I'm not going to get recruited. I'm coming from a small school. And my dad really challenged me there in that moment. You know, hey, God's hand is on your life. Not You're not in the driver's seat. He is. Trust him. Trust his plan. And so I made a decision there that, you know, I'm going to trust him. It may not be football that his plan is for me, but I'm going to trust him and, and not worry about where this thing is going. And when I got the scholarship offer to Michigan State about a year and a half later, it was a great reminder that he is in control. He is a lot bigger than a broken ankle. And, uh, you know, I just need to trust him. And so then five years in Michigan State, was able to start there for three, had a very positive experience, won a lot of games, grateful to play for Coach D'Antonio and his staff. And then, as we talked earlier, being a fourth-round pick to Washington, which at the time felt like a dead end, turned out to be the best possible thing for me because of all the great coaches and players I was able to be around. And then in 2018, became a free agent and came here to Minnesota. And this is now my fifth season in Minnesota. And even my five years here has not been, you know, rosy all the time. There's been ups and downs. There's been challenges. There's been, you know, an off the corner that got fired my first year, a head coach that was let go last year. But through it all, you just have to keep playing. And, and I stick to the, the old adage that tough times don't last and tough people do. And you've got to stay tough through it all. Hopefully that wasn't more than two minutes, but I tried to be quick. Oh, you did it. You're all good. Crushed it. Oh, that's good. I think your story too is really cool for young quarterbacks, guys like me, undrafted guys, Jordan, you're an undrafted guy. It seems your entire career, you've kind of bet on yourself, right? Even in Washington, you bet on yourself there. Your dad told you to keep pushing through, even though it felt like a dead end. Franchise tag twice. You kept betting on yourself. You know, you wanted to get guaranteed deals. You go to Minnesota, you just keep betting on yourself, right? And I think a story for young quarterbacks and, and quarterbacks or undrafted guys in the league or maybe guys who are backups in college, people can relate to that, man, because there's the ones, the five stars and the starters, like that's the, that gets all the media attention, but there's, 90% of the stories are guys like you yeah, and you know. they fill the league too. So sure. uh, thanks for coming on. we got one more thing. We're just going to start a new segment with you. Actually, we're going to call it QB to QB. We have new college quarterbacks on every week or NFL quarterbacks. And we'd love to hear different perspectives on everything quarterback, right? So we want to give you a chance that we don't know who our next guest is, but we want to give you a chance to ask our next guest a quarterback to quarterback question. Okay. So I'm going to think of a question here. I would love to ask whoever you bring on what their approach is with cover zero. When they get all out pressure, how do they like to attack it? Whether it be double moves, uh, max protection, screens, how do they study for it going into a game? Do they like to just kind of let the play go and throw their quick element? Do they like to have a variety? I think there's a lot of ways to attack cover zero. I'm seeing it show up more and more in this league today. I'd like to hear uh, you know, what guys are, are thinking about attacking it. And even at the lower levels of college and high school, you know, how much is cover zero showing up? And if so, how is it being attacked? It's a great, I would love to get your answer, but I don't want to give your attack away. So I'm not. Yeah. We'll, we'll ask that. We got a lot of, a lot of fun interviews coming up, conversations, guys coming by the room. Kirk Cousins, man, fired up. Thanks for joining us today. So pumped for you, man. Been been a fan for a long time. I just love your approach to the game, the family aspect of it, where, where, you know, your relationship with God, that, where that 
lives in your life and, and you're unapologetic about every phase of your life and we need more young young quarterbacks who I think are some of the most influential young men in our country. They More of them need to want to be like you when they grow up. So I appreciate you coming on sharing with us, man. Absolutely. If I get out to Orange County, I'll, I'll hit you up and uh, it would be fun to connect and maybe go out and see Rob or something. It'd be fun to see everybody again and go down memory lane. We're around. All right, All right guys. Thank, Thank you. you. See you. He'll run some routes for you. He's still <laughs> yeah, good. right. Exactly. He'll run his route. <laughs> Exactly. Well, like we said, truth teller, a real dude. Awesome to, to get him after the crazy win when he's on the flight home with all the chains and stuff. That shit was hilarious. Man, he's funny. So you hadn't met him before. Never what was your... met him before. I, it's just like you. I've always watched him from afar. I've watched all his games. And, you know, he's been on primetime all the time. He struggled early in his career, but he was like, you look at the stats on those primetime games, right? It just the, the games were all high scoring. They just couldn't find a way to finish, right? But I've watched him my entire career. He's a, a guy that I play similarly to, right? He's a mm-hmm. model my game after. And just to hear his approach and what he's, he's talking about with his team and everything, it just, he's a pro, man. And he's balling and he's consistent and he stays to it. And and just being able to talk to him and pick his brain a little bit, I think that's the my favorite part about the show is to just pick other really successful quarterbacks' brains. And I think it's something that we can pull out of this that's, that's good. I'm in the league right now. I'm trying to learn, you know? Like yeah. great opportunity for me to learn. And Kirk being the first really tenured vet we've had on this show, a guy who's been successful for a long time. That was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Well, thanks so much. Anybody who's new to this, we got a couple other banger episodes to Taylor Heineke last week. A lot of people watched that and the watch time was really long on that. A lot of people really liked that Taylor Heineke episode last week, but we got a, some great episodes. If you're new to this, check those out, like, and subscribe, uh, turn notifications on. And then just moving forward to college and program up some of the biggest names in, in the QB world joining us. But uh, we always wrap our show talking about what we're grateful for. Gratitude plays a big role in colonized lives. Kyle, what are you, where's your gratitude coming from about right now? Grateful for holidays coming up, man. I just football season. You experience this when you're in football season, you just a lot of time away from family. You don't got you don't have time to go see people. You don't have really time to do anything. You're in the facility every day from, july 25th to whenever your season ends so holidays coming up we got a ton of family coming in town my fiance's family's coming in town soon my parents are coming in town we got a bunch of friends coming in for the new year's game i'm missing family man missing home missing my people got a bunch of people coming up in the next couple months i think these next couple months are gonna fly man so i'm excited to see all those people what about you i'm i'm really grateful for the game right now man ford's first and second grade flag football team i joke around about it we're gonna go win the championship and all that stuff but like this has been my first time teaching the game. Like, here's see this invisible line right here. Yeah, this is the line of scrimmage From and one. And no, no, Geo. Remember, defense is when they have the ball, right? And so you go back to the root of it. Right? And I spend time talking about, you know, fronts and coverages and protections and mechanics and stability and leverage and all. So with college and pro guys and high school guys, but like to have to go and explain, you know, remember, put your finger on the strings, the white strings on the ball, like. It's, I don't know, it's like reconnecting me in a different way to the game. And I'm really enjoying it. Already signed up for winter ball again. And so, and then it made me kind of zoom out. I also, I have some NFL coaches, kids on my team, current NFL coaches, kids on my team. And, and so sitting around talking to them, talking about the game. And, and it's just like, man, it's a really big part of my life. So I'm just stoked on it. I'm watching super important games in college and pro right now. High school kids, playoffs are happening. And then going down to five, six, and seven-year-olds. Just super grateful for the game right now. It's a game we love. 
Football than nothing better than football. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a good guest next week. Keep tuning in. Yep. Keep coming. They're not going to stop. So subscribe. Get on the train early. And we will see you next week. And take a second right now. Think about what you're grateful for, too. Thanks a lot. See you next week.